seat. Well, the most important thing is uh, to wish you all a belated happy Mother's Day. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, happy Father's Day to you men as well. Um, I'm going to get started here. We're going to open in prayer. I need some notes uh, in my Bible. Um, where did I? <laughs> oh, your pastor is on the ball today. Here we go. Um, let's open in prayer together, folks. Gracious Lord and God, we thank you uh, that you are our Father. We thank you that we can call upon you uh, by the work of your Spirit in our heart. Uh, we thank you for your mercy given to us in Jesus Christ and the mercy that you continue to pour out through your Spirit to us and to one another through us. We pray as we speak about the practice of mercy ministry in the church today. Oh Lord, we, we pray that you would make our hearts soft toward one another and to the needs that we all face and the ones that are in our church and in our communities and in our families and and, uh, and in the world, as far as you uh, enable us uh, to reach and to touch those who are in need, we pray that you would help us to do so and that we would be your hands uh, ministering uh, to your people. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I promised Jay that I would put him on the spot. So the funny thing about, um, uh, about Apple's program for slide presentations, which is what I'm using, is that they make it a lot easier to upload iPhotos uh, to these things than to just pull one off your computer. And so I was looking for a picture to replace the one. I mean, that's the reason I had a statue of John Huss last week. Uh, it had nothing to do with Mercy Ministry. It's just one that happened to be in my iPhotos, and I have very few in that account. Uh, but here was a picture that was shared with me a number of years ago. Uh, Jay, do you happen to recall what this is and, and where that is? As West Virginia. This is 2015, if it helps. Okay. Okay. Uh, and what is this? What are you doing there? What What's the point of this whole? Okay. Uh huh. Okay. Now, why were you there, Jay? Other than what you did, why, why were you there? Why Appalachian Service Project? How'd you get involved with them? Uh, that area, 
Now you explain this as a ministry. Was this part of a church, parachurch ministry? Well, today we are, uh, thank you, Jay. Today we are transitioning to talk about uh, the practice of mercy ministry. Last time we talked about the theory of it, uh, motivations. Why, why should Christ's people be merciful? Uh, why should Christians care about showing kindness to one another, uh, to those in our communities? And I thought it would be good that as we begin to see an example of that, as we, as we start to think about uh, the practice of mercy ministry. So thank you, Jay, for, for sharing. Um, and that brings us to a, a very brief review. What did we talk about last time, in case you weren't here? Well, we talked about uh, mercy ministry and, and uh, these motivations, and we saw three. Uh, there, is, uh, there is something godly uh, about a man who can arrange his thoughts in three points, by the way. I don't know if you knew this, uh, but it is a special sanctified skill. Um, and so there, there's a certain uh, Trinitarian emphasis that we, uh, an underlying Trinitarian emphasis uh, that we had. Uh, my sermon today has four points, I'm sorry. Uh, there's, a, there's a certain underlying Trinitarian emphasis in what we were talking about last time. Well, why should we uh, care about mercy at all? Well, it reflects uh, the character of God the Father. We saw that all the way back uh, in Leviticus, uh, calling his people to be merciful as he is merciful. It also follows the example of our Savior. We saw Christ going uh, around and not only teaching, not only uh, giving himself as an atonement, uh, and not only doing uh, miracles that, uh, that he directly tied and said, well, I fed you, so now look and, and see who I am. But, but there, were, there were works of service all over the place, and Peter said that Jesus went around doing good. Um, and then uh, finally, we, we saw this through the work of the Spirit in the church, and here we we spent quite a bit of time uh, looking at the development of the office of the deacon uh, and uh, the Lord's progressive direction for those who are in charge of mercy ministry in the church. We saw that as the, as the church grew in the first centuries, um, there was a, a certain administrative burden uh, to see that the needs of the people in the churches were met. And uh, we saw the Lord instituting the office of deacon and giving uh, more and more direction as that all got more complex. And uh, more than that, we considered the deacons, uh, which uh, I'm glad that the picture that I had uh, featured a deacon uh, doing mercy ministry outside our church, uh, because we, we talked about the fact that deacons last time, uh, and here's a quote from the BCO, the office of deacon is one of sympathy and service after the example of the Lord Jesus. It expresses also the communion of the saints, especially in their helping of one another in the time of need. So we talked about the fact that deacons really are doing as an official duty in the church what all Christians are called to be doing one for another. Uh, there's, a, there's an idea of the communion of the saints, the fact that we are of one body with one another, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. Uh, our needs are shared, our burdens are shared, bear with one another's burdens, and so fulfill uh, the law of Christ, we're told in the New Testament. Um, and this is my shameless plug uh, for anyone who may think about uh, whether they are called to be a deacon. If you are a male member in the church, if you are a male young man in the church, uh, hear what Paul says to Timothy, those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence uh, in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Um, 
for various reasons, obviously, uh, not everyone is called to be a deacon. Uh, maybe it's personal circumstances, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's gifting, maybe it's a number of other reasons, but could you imagine the impact uh, that a church would have, not only here uh, among one another, but also in the wider world, if, if every man, every head of household, every uh, leader in our church was actively striving after the character uh, and the calling of a deacon, as, as we ought to be, if deacons are really uh, a picture of what we all ought to be doing. Women, too, by the way, this, this doesn't uh, let you all off the hook, but there's a special calling to men to consider these things, uh, just as it says earlier in 1 Timothy, uh, that those who aspire, later I think in 1 Timothy, those who aspire to the office of an elder desire a good thing. It's a good thing to aspire to that. It's also a good thing to aspire uh, to the office of deacon. Uh, and so here's uh, maybe just a picture for us. Uh, what if we were all uh, captured by the, the character and the calling uh, of the diaconate one for, one, and one for another? Now, uh, again, uh, I am hopeless uh, without something to get us started, some guiding text, and I realize that I am completely destroying the rules of PowerPoint here. Uh, it's a lot of words all smushed together, but I wanted to just get it up there before us. Uh, let's begin today by considering 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verses 6 through 12. Paul writes to the church, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully, each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness." You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Now, this is an amazing passage if you consider uh, the context uh, and also the promise that is included here. What, what's the context of this passage? Do you remember Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9? What's Paul writing about? Frank? Okay, where are the saints? Saints in Jerusalem. Who is he writing to? Saints in Corinth, uh, separated uh, by the Aegean Sea and the Mediterranean Sea, separated by the Aegean Sea from Asia Minor, uh, and uh, also on down the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea from Jerusalem in, in Palestine there. Um, and there is a huge uh, gulf, uh, geographically a huge gulf, between believers in Achaia, that, that Greek peninsula, and believers over in uh, Jerusalem. What are, what are the other gulfs uh, that stand between, the differences that stand between the believers in Corinth and the believers in Jerusalem? Gentile-Jew distinction. There's an ethnic distinction. They're not from the same family. Their culture is totally different in a sense. Uh, and yet Paul is writing to them, even though they're separated by ethnicity, even though they're separated by culture, uh, he is calling them and encouraging them. Notice he's not commanding them, and we'll talk about it later, um, the, this language that he uses here, uh, as opposed to language that we find elsewhere in the New Testament. He is encouraging them to be generous. Uh, sometimes we, we think about this first verse, uh, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully, uh, God loves a cheerful giver. 
I think sometimes we think about that in terms of uh, are you tithing. Uh, that's, that's where that typically shows up. But uh, this isn't the context for Paul. He's talking about what we might call almsgiving, uh, giving to support the needs of the poor. Uh, and he's making this huge call in a sense. People you've never met, people that in many ways are not like you, uh, people that you will probably never meet, uh, and yet they're in need, and here is an opportunity for the church uh, to engage in ministry. But then notice the promise here. The promise is that the overflowing of their ministry uh, will result in praise to the Lord. He quotes there in verse 9, that's, uh, that's Psalm 112, uh, a wonderful psalm that describes the character of the man who fears the Lord. One of the characteristics of the man who fears the Lord is that he distributes freely. He has given to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. Those things are connected, I think. Not that giving to the poor makes you more righteous. I think the righteousness of his works, as, as Paul goes on to say, the Lord multiplies these things. What happens when you engage in mercy ministry? What happens when you give to those who are in need? The Lord multiplies your gifts and your offerings in ways that you could never do yourself sort of a return on investment, that, that those, get, those who are able uh, give to those who are in need, and not only uh, are, are the needs met, but the saints are built up. There's a, a thanksgiving that's offered to the Lord. It abounds because uh, that, that financial gift, in a sense, here at least, uh, redounds to worship of the living God. Notice that he doesn't say that when you give this money, people will think, man, those believers in Achaia, they're really great. Those Corinthians, they're really, uh, they're really generous. He says, when you give this, uh, people will worship the Lord. Because they realize that it's actually the Lord who is ministering to them through you. You see that conduit that Paul is laying out there. Uh, the Lord will, uh, will uh, give you all sufficiency in all things at all times that you may abound in every good work. Uh, there, there's a certain faith here. There's a certain stepping out into the unknown. This is in the context earlier in this same chapter. He talks about those believers who were in Macedonia and who gave according to their means and even above their means. Uh, they looked at what they had to give and they said, well, we, we don't have a lot, uh, but we'll give uh, because we feel the Lord is, is uh, allowing us to do so and it might make it even harder for us, but uh, he's giving this promise that the Lord will, uh, will multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And so this is the model of benevolence uh, to the poor in the Old Testament. And we saw this uh, a little bit in Leviticus last time. Uh, the Lord commanded his people, when you have a field, don't harvest it all the way to the edges. He said, well, I'm going to lose that crop. No, no, no. You're, I'll take care of your crops. I'll make sure that your, uh, your seed is multiplied. You give to those who are in need. And everybody understood that was the Lord's way of ministering to his poor people in the land. And it speaks of the widow and the sojourner and, and the fatherless in the Old Testament who would glean off of those things. And you see uh, Ruth, really the embodiment there, uh, this foreigner who comes in who has joined herself to the Lord and to the Lord's people. She's now walking with them and trying to follow the Lord. And how does the Lord provide? Well, he gives the kinsman redeemer, a picture of Christ, I think, but he also, he also feeds their family from the gleanings and, and from the generosity uh, of, uh, of the people in the land there. Uh, and it was uh, the way the Lord was ministering to his people. So we've got this more as a background and more theory, but there was a question last time. Uh, question, I think I've got the quote correct, Becky. How is our church doing with these things? Uh, and Becky wanted to know, is this a legitimate question for us to ask? 
uh, or should we only look at what happened in the first few centuries? And yes, that is a legitimate question for us to ask. In fact, that is the legitimate question that we want to ask today. Uh, how is our church doing with these things? Now, um, I promise that it's a godly thing uh, to have a tripartite division. Uh, and so we're going to talk about uh, mercy ministry that happens in our church in three areas. First, we want to talk a little bit more about the formal mercy ministry of our church. That is uh, the diaconate, those men who have been called and set apart. What is it that they do? Uh, how do they do what they do? How do they decide to do what they do? Uh, and if you happen to be in need or if, in, if you happen to be able to help others, how can you be involved in what they do? Uh, secondly, we want to talk about this uh, organic uh, mercy ministry. This is mercy ministry to every believer. Uh, and, and we mentioned last week, and I'll mention again, that a healthy church ought to have both of these in place, right? We don't want to have a church that is only top-down. Well, all the needs will be met if only the deacons understand what's going on. That's a good thing. The deacons are necessary. But very often, uh, there are needs in the church that you're able to meet without ever calling a deacon. Right? There are lots of things that you interact with and, and just in your ministry to one another, and there are ministries outside of our congregation that you're able to meet that really probably don't involve the deacons or the gathered church. And, and one of the best ways that the deacons can find out about the needs in the church is because you are ministering to one another and you see a need that nobody else recognized, and, and maybe it's bigger than you can meet. And you go and you, So th there's going to be a, a balance in, in any healthy church. I don't want to give the impression that all mercy ministry is from the deacons, and I don't want to give the impression that all mercy ministry is on the individuals, and you've just got to find it where you can find it. No, we're going to have a balance. Uh, and then finally, we want to talk about mercy ministry as pre-evangelism. All right, uh, so let's get started. Mercy ministry through the deacons. Here is the first practical question. Do you know who our deacons are? Could you name them in the middle of the night if you had to? That was one of my, uh, one of my preaching professors said, you, by, by Saturday night, you ought to have your main idea of your sermon so solidified in your mind that if I woke you up at 3 o'clock in the morning and said, what is it, you could, you could just shoot it. I, I can't. I almost never do that. But do you know our deacons? Do you know who they are? Do you know why they are deacons in our church? Thanks, John. Right. So we have four currently. John, who are they? All right. Jay? Dave Joe? And Jerry Wheaton. Good. Uh, and so these are the men that anytime you have any... No, no, no. Uh, uh, these are the men that you can go to. Uh, these are men who have been set apart. Uh, and so if you don't know who they are yet, if there are any of those men, there's a group here that's been around for a while. We're not full of visitors this morning. Um, if there are any of those men that you don't know, get to know them. If you do know those men, pray for them. If you know who they are, you know that the Lord has set them apart by the, by the election of the church by the working of the Holy Spirit through his gathered people, pray for them. Because they're the people who help to minister to the needs in our congregation. All right, so that, that's finished. But what do they do? Uh, again, let's think of three things. Uh, three things, three big what's uh, that the deacons do. The first one is the deacons fund. This is the one that you all know because uh, once a month we twist your arm uh, to give that second offering. 
Um, I, I don't have financial figures uh, here for us today, but this is also something that gets reported every year. Uh, that at the end of, of the year, uh, the beginning of the year rather, at our, uh, our annual meeting, Jay will talk uh, about the Deacons Fund. Uh, and, and this is really the, the financial aspect. These are the monies that are gathered by you all, distributed to those who are in need within uh, our community and, and, and outside of our community. This past year, by the way, there was a, a breakdown. I took a look at the numbers. Um, and, and one of the things that you'll notice at that annual meeting uh, is that there are very few line items under the Deacons Fund. So when we, when we track all the other items in our budget, it is this exhaustive thing that, that Jay lines out, and well, here are the books for ministry, here are the books that were giveaways, here is the money for these other things. And you get to the Deacons Fund, and it's just this big lump, and it's kind of this big question mark. And you go, well, what happened to this money? Where did it go? Uh, and, and all the detail we got this past year was that here was money that was given uh, locally, that is, within our congregation. Here's money that was given regionally, sort of within our presbytery maybe, and here's money that was given nationally. And that's all we get. Um, in fact, that's all the session gets too. Now there's oversight. There, there are four godly men that we trust that are dealing with this money, and, and it's a substantial sum. Uh, but there, there is a certain, I don't know, secrecy is the right word, Jay. You can help me out here. But there's a discretion, that's a better word, there's a confidentiality. Rob, as a former deacon, can speak to this. Uh, there's a confidentiality that if you want to know uh, what the deacons are giving to, probably the only way you will ever know is if the deacons give to you. Because this is not the sort of thing that gets broadcast around. And, and so uh, even to, to give a list, well, well, what do the deacons do? Well, I know. I can give an example of what they've done for me in the past. When I was a seminary student, uh, and uh, we... You know, funds were tight. I think it was just the two of us at the time. Uh, and Sarah was working. I was a full-time student. My grandfather died. Uh, and I had a sudden plane ticket that I had, to, I had to purchase to get to North Carolina and back for a funeral. I didn't ask anybody. I didn't tell anybody about it. And a check showed up from the deacons saying that they wanted to make sure that I was able to go and be with my family. What a blessing uh, to us and, and to our family at that time. And it might be things like that. It might be sudden unexpected expenses. Typically, the deacon's fund uh, is given to sudden unexpected things, and if you've received it, you, you know what those are. Maybe it's, maybe it's travel, maybe it's medical bills, maybe it's uh, who knows what, all, all kinds of things. Maybe it's problems uh, with your home, maybe, who knows. Um, but, but there are deacons who, who give to these things, and they're the ones who are overseeing. And these are the ministries that if it were to come to any one of us, we would say, well, that's bigger than me. Right? Maybe it's Maybe it's a couple thousand dollars uh, for, for a particular need. Uh, and we would say, well, I, I want to be a part of that, but I don't know how, and I, I don't think I could, I could meet that whole need. And so our deacons uh, are dealing with that. Uh, but it also goes beyond the bounds of our church. Uh, there were some disbursements last year, another one that we can talk about because it was a need that I put before the congregation. There's a, a church in Miller's Falls. Uh, the pastor's name was... Oh, he's, he's still alive, but he's no longer the pastor. His name is Alan McClure. He was diagnosed with early-onset dementia. Uh, and uh, they still had four children at home, homeschooling, uh, and uh, they needed to provide for their family. He was no longer uh, able to be active in ministry, and it was going to be some time before his disability would kick in. 
uh, and, and just all sorts of needs. And so our deacons were able to help with that. And the call went out actually presbytery-wide, what churches uh, can help uh, to care for this family in ministry. And, and sometimes it goes beyond that. I know there, were, uh, there was a Presbyterian church in South Carolina a number of years ago that there was a major flood, and I, I believe our deacons may have been able to give to that. So, so deacons ministry um, helps those that are here with those big needs. That's, that's really the first bucket. And when you look at those disbursements every year, that's the largest of the disbursements. Uh, but it also goes wider. And I know there are times when the deacons that minister to, you know, you're a church, you get people who just call you. You, know, you get people who say, I'm, I'm, I'm short on this, I'm, I'm short on that. And, and we have godly men uh, who, who deal with that wisely. It's not wise to simply give to everyone who shows up in the door of the church saying, well, I need you know, I need $500 for such and such. Well, you, need to, you know, uh, there are scammers out there too, but we've got some wise men uh, who are uh, watching out for these things. There's also physical help that our deacons give. Uh, again, uh, if you have received this, you know what it is. Uh, various uh, things throughout the years as the needs arise. Uh, and, and this is really a recognition that money is not the answer to all of our problems. <laughs> um, we need we need a personal ministry, and this is what the deacons do. One of the, I think we read in the BCO last week, it talks about being a friend to the friendless. That's a, that's a diaconal ministry uh, to help those who are lonely to, to visit. It's not just the pastor and the elders who are called to visit those in the home uh, who are lonely, but the, the deacons do that too. Uh, maybe it looks like yard cleanup. Maybe it looks like arranging rides for doctor's appointments. Uh, maybe it's connecting members to other agencies that can give non-financial help housing resources, financial counseling, stuff like that. Uh, but this is another thing that, that the deacons do. Um, and so if, uh, I think that one of the big takeaways is that if you see any of these needs um, in the church that, that are bigger than you and are bigger than you know, just your ability to, to out of pocket or out of hand go and minister to them, you need to know that we have men who are set aside to meet these needs. This is their primary job. We're going to be talking about facilities, this afternoon, we're going to be talking about facilities next week, and who knows where the Lord is going to lead our church. One of the things that the deacons do is they take care of the facilities. They arrange things, but their primary job, whether we're renting, whether we own a building, whether we have you know, this huge facilities budget or, or no facilities budget, the primary job of the deacons is to meet the physical needs, the non-spiritual needs, in a sense, uh, of our, our members. Um, the last thing. Uh, women's Mercy Ministry. This actually isn't a new ministry. Uh, this has been around for quite some time. You've, you've been involved in this, right? Um, so somebody has a baby, and the call goes out, let's put together some, uh, some meals, let's deliver meals. Um, you know, other hardships, things like that. I think it used to be um, that, that part of this women's ministry, especially for new babies, was a, like a baby blanket or something. Was that ever part of the... Maybe I'm wrong. Baby books, yeah, 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 those, those little books you can, yeah, and, and that's, that's sort of hospitality, it's mercy ministry, it's, it's caring for one another in, in times of need, and, and for the last several years, really, this has been uh, sort of independently operated um, through various mercy ministry coordinators have come and gone as their abilities uh, were there and their, their time availability was there. Uh, but recently, uh, the, the session has uh, discussed the fact that this really ought to be under the, uh, the auspices of the diaconate. And so John currently is looking for a new Mercy Ministries coordinator, if you are interested, a plug for John. Um, but 
but we need to have this have some oversight. There has to be, you know, part of the, the diaconate is that they're the people who are sort of on the hook if anybody is overlooked. Uh, they're, they're the last uh, word for who gets ministered to. Uh, and, and we want to make sure that, that if there's a, a mercy ministry officially happening in the church, that it comes under the direction of the diaconate. So that's uh, one of the, the new uh, organizational things that we're doing. But you need to know that that now is, is going to be a part of the diaconate. It's going to be the same basic thing. Uh, as needs come up, folks can help. Folks can put out uh, a word, but there'll be a little bit of help in coordinating those things. Now, uh, questions for your deacons. We've got two. Uh, Dave's not here, right? I'm going to open a window because it's real hot in here. Um, while I'm doing that, you have a couple deacons. What are your questions for the deacons? Things you always wanted to know but were afraid to ask. I guess I'm not going to open a window. There we go. Hopefully that'll help. Any questions for deacons? How do you do what you do? Why do you decide these things and not those other things? Uh, what happens in those smoky rooms behind closed doors? What do you think? Dave? Yeah. Yeah. Good question for the deacons. <laughs> How do you help Dave with his phone addiction? Or, or other needs in the church when we're, when we're so spread? <laughs> Rob says hand it over. <laughs> How do the deacons deal with the, the needs in the church uh, and, and the fact that we're so far dispersed over a geographic area? Is that a challenge for you? Jay's the man with seniority anyway.
One of the important things that Jay mentioned there is the, the mix of physical and spiritual need. And this is after the New Testament model. Um, you know, Stephen was a deacon. Uh, he was one of the first deacons. He was a man full of wisdom and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and you would almost expect, well, he's a deacon. He's just going to sit around and he's going to disperse the funds to the, the Hellenistic widows. No, no, he's the first martyr because he stands up and he teaches. And he is a, is a man of the spirit, and he's able to speak spiritual things. And both in our, our diaconal mercy ministry and in your personal mercy ministry, as you're meeting the needs of one another, you're going to find that you need that, that spiritual emphasis as well because the Lord has made us as whole people. Our physical needs affect our, our spiritual well-being. Uh, our spiritual well-being affects our, our, our physical bodies and our needs, and, and, and we're we're not divided like that. And so real robust ministry is going to look like a, a mixture of it, which is why we, we want so many godly men uh, as a part of the diaconate. Kathy, and then uh, it's on. Oh, Frank. And it has been formally approved by the elders. So there's a new, uh, there's a new small group getting started in the fall, going through biblical training, uh, counseling, and discipleship, and uh, and the creeds are going to lead that in their home once a month. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and and not just the the physical needs, but the spiritual as well, and how those things uh, how those things play together. Yeah, John, did you want to speak to that?
Any other questions for Jadika Frani? Yeah, um, so there's some church software that, that Jay is working on getting incorporated into our new website that is currently being built by Patricia Hagen. Um, and, and I don't know that it, it necessarily will track mercy needs, but some of these things like sign-up sheets for, for meals, um, there, there's an app for that. Um, and, and we're working to get some of that incorporated so that it's, it's easier and more accessible. And that also deals with some of this dispersed church uh, thing, you know, we, we don't live all in the same tiny little town, and if somebody on this side of our congregation has a need, the people on this side of our congregation, it's not necessarily an easy thing just to, oh, drive five minutes over there in the middle of the week and drop off, a, you know, th there are some, some things that we're, we're dealing with just because of the disbursement of our church, and that's just the nature of our church, and that's, that's neither, you know, good, good or bad, but... Uh, any way that we can, we can help to leverage uh, the larger body for these things is a good thing. Good. Tim? Yep, yep. Once every quarter. So the elders meet every month on the first Tuesday of every month unless some scheduling conflict arises. Uh, the deacons meet every month, about the same schedule. Tuesdays or Thursdays or something like that. And then once a quarter, we all get together. In fact, we had our quarterly meeting this past week at Rob Steele's house. Uh, and that's where we, we try to coordinate some of these things that have an overlap because the, there is an overlap, right? Uh, the, the session uh, directs the spiritual matters of the church. Anything that deals with teaching, anything that deals with the preaching ministry of the church, some of the spiritual needs, sin issues that we're aware of and counseling and praying for and some of those things when we're all talking about you, um, and, the, and the deacons deal with those other, but, but there are some things like this past week, obviously, we, we talked about this upcoming talk about a building. That's a spiritual, that's a physical, that potentially could really affect our deacons and their workload. We want to make sure that we're on the same page with all that um, and, and just understanding where the church is and, and what answers we need to give you, which is a physical thing and a spiritual thing, you know, and, and some of this overlap. So uh, all sorts of things, but we get together once every quarter is the, the really long answer to your really short question. John and then Becky. Oh. <laughs> That's, no, 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 you, you have a time for that. Go ahead, John. Would you like to answer that, John?
Becky, you had one more question before we move on? Oh, that's Rob, too. How's that played out for you, John? Good. <laughs> Good. We'll ask the rest later. Uh, so please pray for our deacons. Please pray for our deacons. And uh, if you are aware of a need, or if you have a need, find an elder, find your pastor, find a deacon. There are men in the church uh, who are set aside to make sure that these things are met. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily mean that we'll cut you a check. <laughs> it might mean that we say no. Um, but uh, there are people here who are here to help, uh, and, and we want to make sure that, uh, that the needs of Christ's church are met. All right, uh, true to form, we have two-thirds of our presentation to go, and we're almost done, and we're not doing any more of these classes, so let's breeze through this pretty quickly. Uh, the majority of mercy ministry in the church and through the church, I think, is probably individuals. Um, because the, the deacons only see so much, the deacons are only connected to so much, and there are limited resources. And this is part of the joy and, and the beauty of Christ Church is that it's dispersed everywhere throughout the world. And even as we go from this place and we're dispersed, sometimes that causes difficulties, but sometimes it's a real joy because you are able to give mercy ministry not just here in our congregation, but in larger circles in which you run. Um, so there's a resource issue. Uh, there's also a mission issue. Why, why is uh, a lot of mercy ministry in the church done by individuals? Because uh, it's not the mission of the church to meet all the physical needs of all the people in all the world. Believers are able to help in, in some of those ways, but the church is primarily about making and growing disciples. Here's how Tim Keller puts it. He says, the institutional church should give priority to word ministry but Christians must do both word and deed ministry in the world, and the church should equip them to do so. I think this was, this was uh, challenging for me as I read that and thought about, well, the question, how are we doing with these things, comes back to the leadership on some level. How are we, this is a rhetorical question, don't answer, please. Um, how is the church equipping you to minister in your own communities to the people that you meet on a daily basis? If there are needs there, if you're saying, hey, I, I really want to know how to help with this thing. I really want to know how to, how to meet this other need. Come and talk to us. We, we want to know. Why, why are we teaching these two classes on mercy ministry? Because somebody in the church came and said, we want to know more about mercy ministry. The reasons for it and, and how we do it and, and what it looks like. So uh, we need to be equipping you to do so. Now, we talked already about the, the deacons. Um, uh, as uh, endemic of the, uh, the fellowship and the communion of the saints. Here's what the Westminster Confession says. Saints by profession are bound to maintain a holy fellowship and communion in the worship of God and in performing 
such other spiritual services as tend to their mutual edification, and also in relieving each other in outward things, according to their several abilities and necessities, which communion, as God offers opportunity, is to be extended unto all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, this makes that command enormous, especially in our age, where you can be on the internet and suddenly you see a request from believers who are in some place you've never been, never heard about, uh, and they're in need. This is written in the 17th century as God, uh, as God offers opportunity to be extended into all those who in every place. Well, we do want to help other believers in other areas, but, but in our own age, the, the, the burden of the mercy ministry that needs to happen could be so large that we could feel overwhelmed by it. You're in the church, you've got a family, you've got neighbors, you see the things on the internet, you see the requests, and so how do we decide, well, who gets our mercy ministry, who gets our limited resources, not just church-wise, but, but individual-wise? Who gets the, the resources that you have to give to those who are in need? Uh, and uh, I would love to share the, the article with you later if you'd like to see it, but Kevin DeYoung talks about uh, a grid, sort of a, a two-axis plot line. Uh, of proximity and necessity, and he gives us a, a sort of helpful filter uh, to walk through uh, to, to decide, well, well, who, not just who's worthy, that's, that's the wrong way to approach it, but, um, but who can I do the most good for? Who am I called, really, as a gospel command, who am I called to do the most good for? Uh, and, uh, and how do I uh, manage my resources. So he, he talks about concentric circles of proximity and then concentric circles uh, of necessity. We're, we're not going to spend a lot of time dealing with these because we're out of all of our time. Um, but he, he starts with these, uh, these circles. Where should the bulk of your ministry, uh, the first line of your mercy ministry go? It should go to your family. There's a gospel command in 1 Timothy 5.8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If you have adult children and you have the means to help them when they fall into hard times, not adult children who are lazy and refuse to work, he deals with that somewhere else. You have the means and you're not helping them, Paul says you've denied the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. Likewise, this is actually in the context of helping widows. If you have aging parents, and I know there, there are people in this church with aging parents, and you have the means to help them, and you're not. You know, Paul says that you've denied the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. So the bulk of your mercy ministry, the very first line of, of where you should put your, your emphasis, your time, your resources, uh, is with your family. And then... I think the local church, now how we define local church is a little amorphous between when we look at the first century and when we look now, but here's how John puts it. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for the lives, lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Now here's where we have to distinguish between do you see this need uh, and it's so far off that you, you really don't have the resources to go uh, to Uganda to, to do these things. Or is it a need of, of a brother or sister who's right here in our midst and you see them, you know them, you know their need. This is the reason the Deacons uh, Fund exists, so that we can do just this. We can help 
first, uh, outside of our family, the first concentric circle, the local church. Secondly, other believers. Notice the change in language here. Uh, we're talking about family, and Paul says, if you don't do this, you're like an unbeliever. We're talking about the local church, and Paul's, uh, John says, if you don't do this, how, how does the love of God abide in you? And then when you think wider about other believers that are outside of your own circles, maybe they're, they're removed for, for whatever reason, Paul begins to say in 2 Corinthians 8, 8, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. And he went through that whole uh, thing where he says, no, 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 this is not compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. As the Lord gives you opportunity, it's a wonderful thing when you are able, and we ought to be generous, uh, but there, there is no, uh, there's no mandate in the sense that there's a mandate to care for your family. Is everybody tracking with this? Okay. Uh, and then, then the last one, uh, unbelievers, those in the world. We're still to do good to everyone as the Lord gives us an opportunity, but notice it talks about an opportunity, not a mandate. Now, that is not to say uh, that if you see someone who is in need, because I think that the Good Samaritan is a wonderful example of just what Christ was talking about, who's your neighbor, and that's where the idea of uh, uh, proximity and necessity comes in, this grid that, that crosses. There may be someone who's not a believer, and you don't say, oh, you're in need. Do you believe in Jesus Christ before I can help you? No, no, no. Uh, if there's someone who is in your immediate vicinity, if your neighbor next door falls on hard times and you're able to help them, that's a wonderful godly thing. And in a sense, that you're a, you're a believer in the world. Maybe you, you ought to help them. Um, but, but we need to think uh, clearly as we're dealing with limited resources, where do we, where do we uh, lay these things out? Now, uh, secondly, he talks about necessity, and you can see this also in Scripture. We're just going to put them all out there. Uh, and this is also a sort of descending uh, there are those who are dependent and desperate. Scripture talks about widows and orphans in their distress. Scripture talks about believers who are imprisoned. These are the sort of, man, this has happened. It was unforeseen. It was the Lord's providence. Here's an immediate pressing need. And so if you see these things, those are the ones that you, you ought, uh, biblically ought to help. Then there's less desperate, still dependent. New Testament talks about uh, traveling ministers who need hospitality. Several different places, actually. Paul says, I send uh, Timothy along to you. Uh, and when he comes, see that you send him along, for he's doing the Lord's work. He's a minister who is dependent uh, and uh, not desperate, not, you know, not starving to death, but here's, here's a dependency. Then there are these long-term needs. We saw some of this last time, 1 Timothy chapter 5. Uh, these are the ongoing, not, it's not an immediate need, it's a sort of regular need for someone in the church, these widows who, who are widows indeed. It says in, in Timothy. And then there are also those uh, to whom we should give no support. There's a helpful little book, When Helping Hurts, um, and it talks about uh, giving in such a way that, uh, that engenders sort of uh, self-perpetuating cycles of, of sin, uh, where we do for others what they could be doing for themselves but refuse to do for themselves because they can get a handout. Now, you need to be wise about how you... Uh, you work through these things, but there are at least two categories in the New Testament. Uh, if 3 uh, John says you need to receive traveling ministers, 2 John says if there is a false teacher, give them no support. No support. I got a phone call this week. I got an email a couple weeks ago for a traveling evangelist who's coming to our area and would our church like to be involved in their ministry? No, we would not. No, we would not because they're teaching all sorts of false things. Uh, and I'll give you the name later if you need it. Um, anyway, then there are the idlers. 
If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. And in fact, Paul talks about discipline for those who are idle. So parents, if you have grown children and they're in need because they refuse to get a job, don't give them a handout. If they will not work, they, sh they should not eat. And, and, and we need to think very clearly about these things. But, but again, think about this as a, a, a sort of crisscross grid and where, do the, where does this plot line fall? And it might be that you've got a neighbor who is dependent and desperate and they're not a believer. Okay, well, that's, that's a necessity issue, even if, it's not a, even if it's not a faith proximity issue, even if they're not a Christian. Uh, you have an opportunity. The Lord has put you in a providential place that you can help them. Well, then help them, absolutely. Yeah, help them. Um, but, but also think about how we, we weigh some of these things. Uh, mercy through members. Uh, there's uh, DeYoung's uh, summary. Uh, let's look at the last line. The further out you go in either circle, the less ought you should feel and the more caution you should take. This is really just a, a wise article to help us think through these things. I'd be glad to send it along to you. Uh, later if you want to see it, because uh, he takes a lot more time to flesh some of these things out, uh, because just seeing it in this bare sort of grid seems almost cold. Uh, believers have a, a, an excuse not to help those people, but you have to, you know, um, and I think there's some wisdom issues here. Uh, and then finally, mercy is pre-evangelism. We'll just take a look at these, because we're over time. Um, well, how, how do we give mercy to those who don't yet know the Lord? Well, not in a disingenuous way, not, not in the way that says, I will give you this help. I will come alongside you if you come to our Christmas Eve service. Huh? Huh? Right? Uh, and, and the world is tired of that, by the way. We talked about that when we went through evangelism. The world is tired of, of Christians who want to be friends with them just to teach them the gospel. No, we have a wonderful opportunity to be in the world but not of the world. And also to help in the world without without buying into the world's systems and to be able to be salt and light in the world, to love those uh, who are outside. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, you don't belong there, Peter says. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. This is not just mercy ministry, but this is upholding a godly lifestyle, which I think includes this love for neighbor. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. In the first centuries of the Christian church, the Christians were known for their acts of mercy to all sorts of people. In fact, um, two years ago, the um, PCA put out a study committee report on, on women and service through women in the church, and they had all these examples. Uh, one of them was that in the early centuries, uh, church women would go out early in the morning into the town squares in many of these Roman cities where over the night uh, babies were laid out to be exposed to the elements and die. Your child had Down syndrome. Your child had a deformed uh, appendage. Your, your child was a girl instead of a boy. Your child was a whatever. And they just put them out there. And either somebody would take them or they would just die and who, who cares? But what would the Christians do? They gathered all the nursing mothers in the church and they sent them into the town square to nurse these babies and they that's why there are so many churches connected to orphanages, because from the earliest centuries of the church, the church cared for children who had no one else to care for them. The widow and the fatherless and the sojourner, that's who the church cared for, and they were brought into the church. What a wonderful thing if the church in our pro-choice, pro-life uh, culture would be known as those who actually care for those who have no one else 
uh, to care for them and, and are willing to bring them into homes and, and raise them up. And then John 13, uh, 34 and 35, from the lips of Christ, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you are also to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, this actually is, this is our caring for one another in the church. This is a, this is a sort of concentric circle that's still uh, close to the chest, and yet the Lord says the world will be watching this. Now, they will see that you're my disciples. You'll be known as mine because you'll care for one another. And actually, again, we see that throughout the ancient church as well. Oh, well, that was uh, just a, a real quick pass. The rest of that, uh, let me catch my breath, and we'll pray, uh, and we will uh, prepare for worship together. Oh, Lord our God, we thank you for the way that you're at work uh, among us. We pray that you would make us your merciful people in the world and toward one another. Help us to uh, minister to the needs that we see around us, to care for those who are a part of our church, those who are in our communities and our families. Oh, Lord, make us people that, uh, that show forth your love in the world, that others would look and would glorify God on the day of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Yeah. Oh, yeah.